You remember those choose your own adventure books? Man, there was something so powerful about getting to shape the story. Well, today we're talking about how God's story shapes ours and how we play a part in shaping it moving forward. That's today in the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. However you're listening and wherever you're listening to this, I pray that you feel God's blessing today. Well, we are in summer mode here, which means that we began our summer services. We now have an 8 o'clock in the morning patio service, which is an outside traditional but casual service. Uh, and then our usual 9 and 10.30 services. And I love when we switch to summer mode because it just means the summer fun is here. It's time for the beach and barbecues and getting some good family time and hopefully finding some rest. But remember, rest isn't about how many trips you can take. Uh, It's about where you find your rest. And real rest comes in a relationship with Jesus. So, uh Vacations are fun, but finding your rest is uh, is all about your relationship with God. And you know that to be true because you go on vacation and you come home and you needed a vacation from your vacation. Anyway, I uh, hope that you're having a good week. If you're listening in real time, we are at the end of the school year. I know my kids have half days all week, which is always a joyous celebration among parents that uh, now we can't do anything during the day because we have the half day to contend with. Hey, if you're in that boat, hang in there. You just got a couple more days left. Well, we uh, started a new sermon series that's actually going to last all summer long. We are calling it 12 Stones, uh, How Stories of Faith Can Change Our Story. And the idea is we are looking at different characters in Scripture and how their story helps us understand our story and how to live our faith in the here and now, which I'm excited about. Uh, We're going to do a deep dive into some of these biblical characters that you've heard of and that we've read about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And so this week, we start off with Joshua's story, and that's where the idea of 12 stones comes from. So you're going to hear about that and what that means, and in the meantime, that you have little moments where you could find your rest in Jesus. Maybe this sermon will be one of them. All right, well, have a great week, everyone. And here we go with our first installment of the 12 Stone series on Joshua. I love that video as it's a reminder that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Well, we are jumping into a new sermon series. We just came from one that talked about the vision and mission of the church. I want to encourage you, if you missed it, to go and listen, towerhillchurch.org. You can listen, subscribe to the podcast, and you'll get it automatically every week. But also, especially these last two, because they really talk about what our vision is and what we think is most important as we head into the next program year beginning in September. But today we're talking about the power of story. And this is a sermon series that's going to go all summer talking about the power of story. Twelve stones, stories that shape our faith. And I think to kick this off, I think it's perfect that it happens on Father's Day. Because listen, I'm the product of two fathers. I had two fathers in my life, uh, birth father and stepfather. And all I can say is dads love to tell stories. I mean, listen, there would be no such thing as a snipe hunt if there weren't dads, right? If anyone does know what a snipe hunt is, I'm going to be leading one. I'll invite you to join me. I'm not that mean. 
Dads love telling stories. And, and there's something about stories that connect with us at such an early age. We long for bedtime stories. We long for stories around the campfire. I remember when I was growing up, I used to love uh, when we had family gatherings to kind of sneak in when I heard the adults start talking about stories because they were all inappropriate. But then I, <laughs> then I would get to like hang out and, and listen to the stories uh, of people that I didn't know who I wanted to know. So in our family, we had a lot of tragedy. We had a lot of people who died young. So I never got to meet uh, a lot of people of my grandparents' age uh, in our family, my mom's side, uh, because they all died before, before I was born. But through the stories, I felt like I knew them. And I do the same thing with my children. I tell stories of my mom who they never got to meet. And so they feel like they know Grandma Katie, even though she is not here. But it's a funny thing about stories. They hold so much power. There's something about stories that captivate us and shape us. As every preacher knows, once you start losing them, all you have to do is say, let me tell you a story. And people, you know, snap back to life. Oh, where am I? Am I at church? Oh, yeah. Great. Oh, yeah, yeah, story. Let's hear it, right? They lean in a little more. People love to hear stories. And you think about how stories are such a part of even our, our entertainment, books, television, movies, music, all about telling a story. We respond to stories so much. It's like we're kind of wired for it. We're shaped by stories, but it's actually wired in. It feels like it's hardwired in us because stories we remember even more than we remember information. In fact, this is actually pretty literally true. Brene Brown, in her book, Rising Strong, she has this quote. Neuroeconomist Paul Zak has found that hearing a story, a narrative with a beginning, middle, and end, causes our brains to release cortisol and oxytocin. These chemicals trigger the uniquely human abilities to connect, empathize, and make meaning. Story is literally in our DNA. And it's amazing when you think of what was Jesus' favorite way to teach. Stories. Parables. It's almost as if he knew what he was doing. That story is, we are why we are created for story. And that's even how God helps us to understand our role in the great big picture of God's story with all creation. I think, though, there's even a more powerful version of a story that we hear, and that's the story that we get to shape. Here's what I mean. My kid's favorite thing is when, at bedtime, I tell them an open-ended story. So I start out with, some, with a story and I make something up. And then I'll ask them, now what happens next? They love this. This is an exhausting way of doing bedtime stories though, by the way. <laughs> so this isn't every night. I just want you to know. But they love it because then they contribute to the story. And at the end, it's a story that they helped create. There's something so magical and meaningful When we get to contribute to a story, it's like there's all this information. The story began before we entered it, and then we entered it, and we had something to say about it. And boy, did marketers know that when I was growing up. 1980s. Any kids grow up in the 1980s? 
I'm calling you kids. That's right. That's right. Well, all the rage when I was growing up, and I was really a non-reader at the time, but I got hooked to the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Come on. Do you remember these things? They were awesome. And there were like hundreds, if not thousands of these books on the market. And this is how they work. For anybody who missed the 80s, for one reason or another, the <laughs> the <laughs> you didn't miss a lot, but yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. The Choose Your Own Adventure books were awesome because you got to a certain point in the story, and then it's like, it gave you choices. A, you're going to shake the guy's hand. B, you're going to go run and hide. C, you're going to do something. And then depending on what you pick, the story continues in that way. So if you shake the guy's hand, turn to page 41, and then you, you flip, and, you're like, and then you read about a paragraph, and like, and you have died. You're like, no! Dang it! And so you like go back, and you're like, okay, how do I... And then how many of you cheated on the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Come on, be honest. That's right. You didn't want to choose wrong. You wanted the story to continue. But there was something so powerful about that. And my daughter tells me they have stuff now where it's like interactive fiction, where you can get on and you can interact and shape the story, which is awesome. I mean, I'm thinking like technology has got to make that really great. There was also something that came out about this time that took this idea to another level. I'm going to see if you can, we're going to play a little name that tune. And I want you to listen and, and raise your hand when you know what this is from. Go ahead, can you cue that up? Never-ending story. Wow, this was, this was a moment in my childhood. And this took that whole idea of choose your own adventure to another level. It's funny, we watched, we watched Never-ending story with my kids. <laughs> I mean, they liked it, but they were like, this is really cheesy, Dad. <laughs> so, it's awesome. And the whole idea of this story was that a little boy walks into a bookshop, he gets the magic book, and he starts reading... And there's a story that existed before he picked up the book, and he starts reading it. And as he reads, he finds that he is in the story. He's contributing. He's shaping the story itself. It takes an idea that he's shaping it. And I feel like there is a faith connection, yes, with the never-ending story. We inherit a story that came long before us. And yet, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we start to participate in the story. Its meaning shapes our story, and we shape the story as well. Yes, we know how the story ends, but there's a great big middle of us doing what God has asked us to do, to participate in the story. It is our, and finally, never-ending story, as we are with eternity, in eternity with Jesus Christ. And that is the power of the Christian faith. The story shapes us, and we also shape it as we live our lives of faith. 
And that's what this whole sermon series is trying to get at. How do we take the stories of all of these people in the Bible and figure out what they mean for our story so that we can continue to shape the big story of God and his people and what he is doing to redeem it all? So today we are jumping into the story of Joshua. Now, as we get to Joshua's story, he's getting ready. He's getting ready to cross into the promised land. And remember, this was after 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Long time. And I'm sure they believed that getting to the promised land, crossing that Jordan River, going to the promised land was never going to happen. Years and years and years. And think about how it started. It started with such bang. Moses, let my people go. All the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. You've all seen the movie. And they walk on dry land. It's dramatic. It's amazing. They are freed from slavery forever. And then they get to the wilderness. Yay. Which they immediately hate. Moses does his best. He, they go 40 years around. And then to make it worse, after 40 years of like, well, at least Moses has this God connection. We can at least just keep following him. He dies. And this kid takes his place. Joshua takes his place. Think about the pressure on Joshua. Like, I, I'm no Moses. I don't, are they even going to listen to me? This was not what they were expecting. This is not what they thought was going to happen. Interestingly, Joshua's mantra in that whole first part of Joshua is, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Remember, it's the Lord that brought you this far. He's not going to let you go when it's time to cross, when it's time to actually leave the wilderness. He's not going to leave you behind. And so here we go. Today, our 12 Stones series begins with Joshua. Joshua 3, beginning with verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Do you, everyone remembers what the Ark of the Covenant is? Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, that Ark of the Covenant? That's, hey, listen, I speak in movie, so I'm just trying to help. Right, held the tablets of the Ten Commandments, held manna from the wilderness, and some other things. Very powerful. A lot of legend about the ark and its power. He says, that ark, carry before you. When you see the ark of the covenant, the Lord your God, and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Not so important. You know, he's saying... We're going to lead with God, and that's how you're going to know where to go. We're not, going to, we're not going to guess about this very important crossing over. We're going to lead with God first. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. 
For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that he, that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Notice, notice what just happened. I, I, it's easy to like read the Bible fast and not recognize what's happening in, in real time as you read. Josh, the Lord speaks to Joshua. Joshua does not do anything else. He immediately turns and delivers the message to the people. And they do exactly what God said. Major life lesson there. We'll, get, we'll talk about that a little more. Verse 12. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Hmm, sounds familiar. Like it's happened before, which is the point. It's God's way of saying, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, and, and I want them all to see I'm with you in the same way I was with Moses. So this is going to look really familiar. There's going to be some water parting going on as we cross this river. So, verse 14, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Verse 6. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Oh, it's such an awesome story, right? There's a lot to it. There's a lot going on, and you can picture in your head this dramatic moment of the story. And here's the cool thing. It's like this story of Joshua, this is our story. But then the next question is, what do we learn from Joshua's story that shapes our story now? That's always the tricky part. How do I land this story in my everyday life? I think there are lots of ways that you can. I'm going to propose a few. 
I think this, I think we have to begin by acknowledging the wilderness. Like what happens before we get to the crossing? The wilderness might just be the preparation you need for what God has next. Here's what I mean. Nobody loves the wilderness. Nobody. I don't know. I mean, you know, not like the wilderness like we talk about in the Bible. I don't mean like going for a hike. Nobody likes the wilderness of the soul where you feel like things are barren. You're in a holding pattern. You're circling the airport and you never land. Nobody likes that. Everybody hates that feeling. And we pray, we pray hard for God to get us out of it as quickly as possible. And then we say things, and people say things to us like, we just got to wait on God's timing. God's timing from what? Well, for whatever it is I'm waiting on him for, I'm in the wilderness. So maybe it's, maybe I'm waiting to cross into a new relationship, a new job. Or maybe I'm waiting on God for something to do with my health or my finances or something. Something I'm waiting on God for, and I feel like I am walking in the wilderness, and I'm tired of it. And people will say to you, well, it's all in God's timing. And that's true. That's true. Sometimes God will make us wait in that holding pattern in the wilderness because the timing's not right. But you know what else I've noticed? Sometimes we're the ones that God's waiting on. See, the wilderness, even though none of us like it, we should all rejoice when we're in it because that's when God wants to do something to prepare us for what's next. And sometimes... The wait is all about waiting for us to get our hearts right before God. God's like, I would have given this to you months ago. Like, I'm waiting. I think God's often waiting on us. God's timing is for us to move it. (laughs) It's to embrace what he's talking to us about. Because he's preparing us for what's next. If he just gave you what's next, you might blow it if your heart's not ready for it. And God doesn't want you to blow it. He wants this plan of his for your life to work out. He wants to make sure your heart's ready. So you might feel like you're in the wilderness right now with something in your life. And I know it stinks and you don't want to be there. But just know this, you are being blessed. God is paying attention to you as you are in the wilderness. Because he wants you getting ready to cross into what's next. The second thing is, when you actually come to the crossing, make sure that you lead with God. Sometimes when you're in the wilderness and you finally get to that place, you're like, oh, I can actually see the promised land. There's usually an obstacle right in front of you that you have to get through. There's usually a Jordan River that you have to cross. The temptation that I always see happen, and I know this because I've done this myself, is you've just trusted in God during this whole wilderness process, but then once you catch sight of the promised land, you're like, all right, thanks, God. Appreciate it. I got it from here. Oh, I see what to do now. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. You're the best. I got it from here. Critical mistake. A lot could go wrong in that river. We don't have to fashion a canoe. He's going to bring us across, but we got to lead with God. What do I mean lead with God? I mean continue to trust him through each step of the process because there's going to be an obstacle that you're going to be tempted to bail out on. You're going to be tempted at some point to be like, nope, nope, too hard. 
Nope, I don't think it's going to work. That's the critical point. That's where you got to trust God the most. He brought you there. He didn't bring you to see the promised land so that you wouldn't cross. He brought you there so you would. But you got to trust him through the process. Let's look at what Joshua did. So the first thing Joshua did is he said, all right, I want you to look and listen and then lead with God. So by look, he meant, hey, everyone, Israelites, tomorrow, get ready. God's going to do some amazing things. Prepare your hearts. Remember he says that, prepare your hearts. Consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord's going to do amazing things. Have that expectation that God will do amazing things. He will see you across that river. And then it's listen. Listen to what he says. I want you to do, and he's going to give you instructions. Now, I've never heard him talking to me in my ears, but I've heard him in my heart. Where I feel like I know I'm supposed to do this. So do that. You came that far just to get to this point. Trust God the rest of the way. And to make sure you lead with God. I wanted to give you a story that sums this up. This isn't a happy Father's Day story, I'm afraid, because I don't have a lot of happy father stories in my life. I, you know, the product of two fathers, both were kind of cut out of the same mold. Both died uh, young, and, uh, you know, my, my stepdad of a uh, drug overdose in 2007, and um, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard because... Um, you just see all, all that could have been uh, in life uh, didn't happen that way. But, you know, as, as I was growing up, and, um, you know, I love, I love both my dads. And when my stepdad died in 2007, it was odd because we had been on the East Coast for a while. And um, after we moved from California, that's when my stepdad's uh, addiction to prescription pills and other things got really out of control. And the Tucker family is all in California, and we didn't really have any contact with them. And so we didn't know if they knew how bad things had gotten because there was really no connection for many years. And it got to a point where, you know, my stepdad, he was in and out of jail. He does, he finally ends up, uh, they separated, uh, my mom separated from him, and then, uh, and then he passed away, overdose prescription pills. And then I was called, I was called because I was the eldest son. I was the oldest. Uh, and so they said, you know, you, you've got to, you know, make the arrangements. And so I was forced to get in contact with the Tucker family in California. And honestly, uh, and they wanted to do a service out there. There's many Tuckers. It's a big family. They wanted to do a service out there and wanted uh, me and my sister to come out, fly out and be a part of it. And honestly, I almost didn't go. I had been in the wilderness with my family, with my fears of, are they going to be angry? Uh, Are they going to be angry that we haven't been in contact? Are they going to be angry that they didn't know how bad things were with my stepdad? Are are they going to have any resentment that this happened once he moved away from California? Like, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I I really didn't want to go. But I, I felt God very clearly. And this is usually how I know it's God, because I don't want to do it. And, and I, I just felt it so strongly. I'm supposed to go. 
to California and be a part of this thing. So I'm like, okay. And I spent the whole flight just praying to God. I'm saying, okay, God, I've been in the wilderness with my relationship with my stepdad's side of the family. I say stepdad just for clarity, but I always called him dad. He was the dad who raised me. And, their, and that family was a family I knew really growing up. But I was praying that God would see me across that river. If that meant that he gave me extra strength in case they were angry or had resentment, that I'd be able to handle it. Or to get me across that river so that uh, I could be open enough to deal with the situation well. But I knew I had to lead with God because I didn't have the strength to do it on my own. So I'm like, okay, God, I'm trusting you across this river. And I don't know. I just trust that you know what you're doing. And when I got out to California for the service uh, and met up with the family, I was met with nothing but hugs and tears. A big welcome home. We love you. We're so sorry this happened to you. And uh, our relationship with the Tucker side of the family has grown ever since. It was probably the most restorative and healing moment I've had with family in my life. But I almost didn't lead with God across that river. I almost didn't cross it at all. I think the funniest part was, so I was in seminary, and we get out to the place. This is, this is how the Tucker family rolls. So uh, apparently we do ashes in the middle of Palm Springs Desert. We just find like a canyon where we just go and bury people, loved ones. Uh, I don't, I'm sure, now if you're listening on the podcast, I'm sure it's all legal. <laughs> sure it's all legal. But we go out there and we go out to the place where we do it. And, uh, and my grandpa's basically like, like uh, so you're going to do the service? Uh, sure, sure. Thank God I brought the little pastor book with the prayers and stuff in it. You know what I'm talking like I had it. I was like ready to go. I was not ready for that. But they, they saw me as pastor. Hey, I was in seminary. I was close enough. But that's been such a wonderful healing thing for my life. But it never would have happened if I would have gone with my impulse to not lead with God. And then third, doing, you know, I have a chance to do this all the time with you. And with my kids. But this I think is a big part of it. Remember and share your story. All those rivers that the Lord helped you cross. Don't forget them. Build a memorial. That's that whole idea of teach your children about these moments. Pile up those 12 stones and never forget what God has done for you. He has done miraculous things. He gets you across each and every Jordan River. And how many times did you think it couldn't even happen? And he did it anyway. Remember and share your story. Share it with your kids and your grandkids, the people in your life. Share about it. Pepper in, and all of those fun, family, inappropriate stories, pepper in some faith stories about how God got you to the other side. When your children ask Tell them how God shaped you through his story. Let the story of God's people shape your never-ending story with Jesus Christ. Amen.